so, so what are we doing here? The name of the class is Engaging Microcultures, right? And you're here because you signed up for the Reach Your Campus track, right? Okay, so you're already placing expectation on me, I can tell, I can see in your expression. Um, and I don't like that. Uh, that's fine, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. Um, let's talk about what, what is a microculture? Anyone want to take a guess what a microculture is? Something small. Okay, something small. Okay, micro, right. A small culture you can only see under a microscope. Okay. okay. It's like a, like a subculture of a larger group. So if you're looking at university students, you can say like an engineering school, a microculture, and you can look even smaller and say like a specific field of engineering. That's it, that's it, exactly. And, and that's what we want to talk about reaching and targeting those groups today. Um, I've got a little bit of experience, a little bit, um, I've been doing Chi Alpha for 12 years as a full-time staff, um, and then on top of that, a few years as a student. Um, and, and I feel like the bulk of my ministry has been finding these subgroups and finding a way to, to reach them. It's not, it's not difficult, it's not science, um, but it is incredibly meaningful. And I think above all else, it takes deliberate work. It takes a decision to do that, but I've, I've picked up some some tips that I think I can share with you that might uh, that might help you as you go to your campus and find those groups. So I want to talk about first. Uh, what do I want to talk about? Exactly what it is we're trying to communicate when we find these subcultures. Okay, just so that we're all on the same page. This is not going to be new for you, uh, but I have been entrenched in the Book of Matthew this semester, um, as John and Molly can attest. And so I, I, I want to come at you with this, this passage from Matthew 4. If you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew 4. All right, so we're in Matthew chapter 4 together. Some of you may know this chapter and this story. Chapter 4 begins with Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the tempter. And when that is done, Jesus moves on to begin what we call his earthly ministry. Right, the, the, the process of, of reaching people and saving this world. And how does he do that? Verse 17, Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. All right? Anybody have any clue what that means? That he was the Messiah, right? Now, when he says kingdom of heaven... You guys, as an audience member, you're, you're already, you're kind of forming in your mind what you think that phrase means, okay? Let me tell you what his audience heard when they heard kingdom of heaven. This story will take us all the way back to Genesis. Jesus' audience is Jewish men and women, right? They're familiar with a story in Genesis where God created the world. God is pictured as this like royal artist. And he creates a beautiful world, and he puts humans there to, to make it even better than it is, okay? And then something goes wrong, and, and humanity and God are put in, uh, in, in conflict with one another. So how does God restore and rescue his broken world? He, he takes a small people group, or a subculture, if you will, and he sets them aside. Right? He does this with a guy called Abram. And he changes his name to Abraham. All right? Some of you are familiar with this story. And, and he says, through Abraham, I'm going to use your family to reach the world. I'm going to make your family so prosperous and good-looking 
I'm going to bless you so much that the world will see it and want to be a part of it. And that was God's design from the beginning. If you know the story, that, that lasts about five minutes, right? Abraham screws it up. And, and for generation after generation after generation, we're seeing people who, who they can't keep it together, right? There's, there's the way it was meant to be in Genesis. And, and it's not that way. And so God says, we're going we're gonna to get it right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pull this family apart. I'm going to teach them how to do it like it was supposed to be. And they can't do it, and they can't do it, and they can't do it. So God says, and, and we see this throughout the Old Testament. We really see it in Isaiah. God says, he, God has these people called prophets. And prophets are supposed to speak to God's people on behalf of God. And so, and so what, what God does is he said, through the prophets, he's telling his people, keep hope alive, because I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send someone who will change the game and make it so that you can live in this restored kingdom. Okay? So hope is kept alive all through the Old Testament. And then in Jewish tradition, they would read these passages and these scriptures every day in church. They would meet in church on Saturday in small communities, just like we do today. And they would sing from Psalms, right? The Psalms that we have, they would sing those. And they would read these, these passages to one another. And they would keep hope alive that the Messiah was coming because they just didn't have what it took to live the restored kingdom. So when Jesus shows up, what does he do? He takes a group of people and he pulls them aside and he says, this is how you live the restored kingdom, right? That's what Jesus is doing. The whole book of Matthew and all the gospels, you see Jesus pulling people aside and, and, and what he would do is he would travel from one city to the next, to the next, and town from town to town. And every time he would go into a town, he would have a posse of disciples with him. And these were men, some of them single, some of them married with children, right? And they would go into a town, they would live there for, for a period of time, and they would teach people what it meant to live the restored kingdom. <coughs> and then they would leave behind a small pocket of believers, right? And they would go on to the next town. And they did this, and as Jesus did this, his following became incredibly immense, incredibly immense. And at one point in Matthew, he looks around and sees all these hurting and broken and marginalized people. And the thing he decides to do is teach them how to relive in the restored kingdom. And it's a, it's a weird kingdom, right? It's not like the kingdom of this world. People who are poor are exalted in this kingdom. People who have never been given attention are, are lifted up and given attention. People who are sick are made well. People who are, who are down and out are brought up, right? It's, just, it's a weird dichotomy, even so much that Jesus is saying those who were wealthy are, are worse off in my kingdom, right? It's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's wild. And it, it takes the whole gospel just to begin to parcel out what exactly it looks like to live in the restored kingdom. God has put you on your university campus to be someone who, who takes the restored kingdom to people who don't know what it means, don't understand what it's like. And it's up to you. It's up to you to study the gospels and figure out what the restored kingdom looks like in your life and amongst your friends. But it's also up to you to engage your campus in such a way that this becomes life and has meaning and purpose. So we can, we can go to class and we can have our Bibles and we can do our Bible studies and we can, we can do our thing and never actually accomplish the mission that Jesus is calling us to accomplish. If we're going to do that, we have to have an understanding of the restored kingdom. We have to understand, have an understanding of what Jesus' mission was. And we have to make a decision in our hearts that we're going to join him on that mission. 
That's what I want to talk to you about today, is how do we take his mission of this restored kingdom and, 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 and hit every part of our campus? If you were looking at your campus as a whole, how would you possibly, I mean, at NC State, we've got 30,000 students. How could I possibly reach 30,000 students? But we've got, it feels like 30,000 subcultures. You know what I mean? I mean, at, and, and I have learned I can target a subculture and go after them with, with some pretty profound effect. Okay. <coughs> All right, let's talk about how to find these subcultures. Um, I know y'all can't see that, I'm sorry, but I, you know, I spent like five minutes putting this together, so somebody has to look at it. <laughs> All right. Um, Let me hear from you guys for a little bit. Um, yeah, some, start shouting out to me. What are some subcultures that you already identify on your campus? International students. Okay. Greek life. Greek life, good. All right, so number one on my list was, was hot spots. And, and by that, I mean, and I can, I, I'll speak to you from NC State, from the NC State perspective. If uh, I'm guessing there's carryover, I'm guessing almost every university will have kind of the same dynamics. Even a university like UNC Charlotte, um, more of a commuter school. Do I have any Charlotte peeps? I thought I saw some Charlotte. Right. Uh, more of a commuter school. So some of those dynamics are going to be different. Um, community colleges, technical colleges are going to have different dynamics, but, but almost, uh, almost somewhat the same across the board. How many of you have a student center or a student union on your campus? Yeah. That is the place where most subcultures like to congregate, right? It, it seems like in dorms and in the, in the student center. Uh, but that, just having a presence there is, is oftentimes enough to begin to see the, the subgroups forming. Now, how many of you would say you spend a decent amount of time in the student union? Yeah, a little bit. So, okay, it's, it's, it's different for us at NC State. John's raising his hand because, the, uh, because there is alternative dining. And that we can call that alternative dining, where you can, uh, the same way you get into the dining hall, uh, you can use that to get a meal at one of these, like, more fast food restaurants, would you say? Yeah, and so... As you can imagine, a lot of students congregate there um, and study there, and it, and it gets to be a pretty packed place. In our student center, we have an uh, LGBTQ office. Um, they, they arrange those letters on purpose. Um, don't ask me why. Uh, but a couple of years ago, I had a pretty profound encounter with the Lord where um, it was during the summer, and I was prayer walking through the campus um, and uh, felt led by the Lord into the student center up to the fifth floor to the corner where the LGBTQ suite is, right? And, and I guess I, I just have to be vulnerable if I'm telling you this story. Um, for many years, that community was, um, I guess, villainized in my mind, and I didn't really realize it. Uh, they represented a part of the university that I didn't understand, that I couldn't reach, 
And at the time, NC State was pulling uh, authority and resources away from Christian groups and giving it to other groups, one of which was the queer community. And it, it hurt. It hurt me to lose some of my privilege and see it given to someone else. Um, yeah, funny hearing that from a white guy, right? Um, but uh, when, when you're empowered and entrenched in that, um, any sort of loss of privilege can be a, can be a real sting. Um, but I had an awakening. Uh, God got a hold of me, um, and through repentance and a lot of embarrassment, um, I began to see a group of people he loved that I was completely disconnected with. And I was, I was, uh, I was resolved to not allow that to remain. And so what I did was I, I began to spend hours in the LGBTQ office, right? And, and they have office spaces because they have uh, salary paid positions by the university and then just an open space for students who would identify queer or really any student who would want to go and be in that space to study or meet people or talk or have a safe place to be. And so I inserted myself into that dynamic um, and I did it very, very uh, slowly and carefully. I would just go in and sit and listen and just do work at my computer, work, right? But most times I was just sitting and listening. And, and when you become a fixture, when you become a piece of furniture, right, um, people become adjusted to you and more comfortable to, with you. And, and through days and days and days of being in that space, um, it, it was about a day a week. I would go and I would make myself, myself spend two to three hours there. Uh, and that turned into multiple days a week. Um, I began to meet people. I began to meet students. Um, I began to form friendships, and I began to hear and connect with students that I never dreamed of connecting with. And all of that was just me just being there, right? Um, and, and that followed the, the next year I went to a, uh, they, they put on a symposium, uh, the LGBTQ office put on a symposium, and I got to be part of that symposium. I got to, again, sit and listen and meet more students who would identify um, with that community. So um, for many of you, I'm guessing that the queer community, and, and I, I say that, I say queer community only because that's how my friends have taught me to say it. I, I don't want to be insensitive to the verbiage that your friends may use, but that, that's my vernacular. So um, I'm guessing that, that they, they represent multiple subcultures on your campuses, just like they do online. Um, and I have found if you're looking to meet people uh, who have who have either turned away from the gospel, um, but are still receptive to it, uh, you'll find some you'll you'll find some willing participants in that community. And again, it's not hard, right? It's not hard at all. It it just took time. It just takes time. All right. So we've got we've got the student center and and all that that entails. Um, a simple website search can pull up on your campus a number of interest groups, uh, which are, again, easy subcultures to gain access to uh, if you just share the interest, right? Um, I've challenged countless, countless student leaders um, to join these interest groups. And, and I've had students say to me, uh, but I don't play Smash Brothers, right? And so I'll say, well, learn how to play Smash Brothers. Or find a different group, right? But what if I'm not an animal science major? Okay, they have a group for you, right? Like you, <laughs> there are like a hundred, right? Just pick one, and if, if you don't find one that has like you know that you wouldn't 
that you wouldn't fit into, uh, then learn a new skill or like pick up a new game or something. It's just not that hard, right? There's a board game club at, at NC State full of non-Christians. Can you imagine a better place to meet non-Christians than around tables doing something where everybody's engaged in it together? It's like ready-made friendships, right? It's like Bisquick for pancakes. You just, you just like, you could just go and show up and do that. Again, what, like the, the thing it costs you is time. It costs you time and energy. And I, I feel like that when, when I'm with Jesus in those intimate moments, I feel like that's what he's asking me. Am I willing to pay that price? And sometimes it feels like a steep price um, until I kind of get over myself. All right. Um, interest groups. Uh, uh, loyalty fan clubs. You guys have loyalty fan clubs. Um, like if you go to volleyball games, you earn points. And it comes time for a basketball game. And help you get into the basketball game. Yeah, I mean, at, at our school, it's a big deal. At, at UNC, I graduated from UNC. Um, it was a big deal at UNC because you couldn't get into the into the basketball games unless you hacked the system, like I did. So for everyone else who couldn't hack the system, uh, they actually had to go to like volleyball games. Um, anyway, but in doing that, before I hacked the system, I was a part of that, and I would go to volleyball games and women's soccer games and uh, and cricket games and and all and. You, there's camaraderie there. There's absolutely camaraderie there. There's a group of people um, that attend these sports every single time. If you're looking to meet new people, all you have to do is just is just pick a sport. Go to every wrestling match. Go to every home wrestling match. I guarantee you, you'll find the, the, a small pocket of students who are invested big time in that program. And if you invest, then you can reach it as well. Okay, now check this out. Do we, do we expect non-Christians to come to the things that we do? I think we do, right? We just expect that they'll love the things that we love. I think that might be a little wrong-headed. I, there's a thing called relational currency, all right? I, I've, I've made up this term, relational currency. Um, and it's the idea that uh, if, if John... Uh, is my new friend and, and completely outside of church and I'm like a huge Marvel Cinematic Universe guy, all right? And, and so the Avengers movie, the next one is about to drop. I'm, I've already peed my pants several times, right? So I've got a clean pair of pants on and I asked John, come to the theater with me, right? I don't want to go alone on opening night, but why don't you come with me, right? John's going to say yes according to the amount of relational currency I have in the bank with him, okay? If, if, if John is really into basketball, and he really is, right? If John is a baller, and every Friday afternoon he invited me to go play basketball with him, and I always said no. Actually, I always say no. John, you like a baller. Is John coming with me? He's probably not. Not unless he's also into it, right? Which you're not, right? You're not no, like, I love okay. Some, somebody is, okay. Toby is into it. Maybe it's Toby. Whatever, right? If he's not into it, he's not coming. But flip the script. If I said yes, if I said yes three out of four times, three out of four invitations, if I said yes to go play basketball, is he coming with me on opening night? Yes. Yeah, he's likely coming, isn't he? 
right? We do this all the time with non-Christians. And I do this as a campus pastor. I'm like, we're doing this, you know, this event, outreach event. Invite your non-Christian friends. And they're like, why does nobody show up to the things we invite them to? It's because when they invited us, we said no. Because we were too busy with our stuff. So here's a campus pastor telling you, you have to, you got to be careful with your time. Your time is a precious resource. You, if saying no to Chi Alpha event means saying yes to a non-Christian friend's event, Sometimes that's a worthwhile trade, okay? You gotta balance that. I'm not saying ditch, ditch a Chi Alpha, right? Never, I mean, the thing, one of these points is take your small group with you to reach, your, to reach this subculture. But, but I'm telling you, if, if you are always saying no to your non-Christian friends, then they're always gonna say no to you. It, that's just how it works. Yes, ma'am. So how do you prepare your spirit if they want you to like, be involved in something that's a group? Yes. Yeah. That's the hardest part for me. I don't yeah. mind going out. No, I know. But it's hard when you're surrounded by, you know, elite and all this other stuff. Yep. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. That I was just thinking that same thing. Like, um, I, for example, when I'm in front of Chi Alpha, and um, I like, there's this um, bro. These are these people that are like, I don't know how. I, it's really confusing, hard to explain. But it's like I'm trying. Or they know who I am because my because I make I make movies mm-hmm. and these are like um, I'm trying to be able to spread the gospel to hopefully reach them like these people that I um, that I'm trying to preach they're like they're like in St Paul Minnesota and they mm-hmm. have like like these like huge truck meets and it's like they're not Christians and they like worship the devil and I'm like I'm trying to yeah. like, change their life but yeah. it's like yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, but it's a it's a it's a subculture, and and you're looking to influence it. Uh, but their their lifestyle, their the when they gather, <coughs> it goes from uh, being uncomfortable, inappropriate, all the way to being illegal, right? Yeah. Uh, I have a friend in the in the LGBTQ office. His name is Bryce. Um, he invited me to Legend, uh, which is a, a gay bar in downtown Raleigh. Um, I have not gone. I don't think I can go. Um, not because I, I don't love gay people. I, I do. And I love Bryce. And I, I want to see him, um, I want to see him living his best life, right? But I don't know that I can insert myself into that atmosphere. Um, and so there comes a line. We have to draw a line. And, and for me and my wife, uh, having been in your shoes numerous times, we just started writing down what the lines were, right? Um, so when marijuana comes out, I'm out the door, right? Like I just, there, there are things I can't do, right? Uh, when beer is served, I just don't drink, right? Or I'll drink water or a soda, right? Um, I haven't found it to be a barrier between me and the people I'm reaching yet, right? Uh, a lot of, like in, in every situation so far, everyone respects the boundary. Then they might not like it, and they might pressure me to cross the line, which I get. I get. I'm trying to pressure them to cross their line, right? So like, it's all you know. It's all fair. Exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, but you know, but you have to have a firm line, and and that a lot of you know what that is, uh, and you can you you can be connected with the Holy Spirit in and knowing what that is. Um, uh, your parents and my parents 
I think their lines were drawn too close to the church realm and not close enough to the world's realm. Um, I'm not saying we cross the line, but I'm wondering if we can move it closer so that we could engage the world a bit more. Um, but line or, or no line, uh, the attitude of our heart, I think, will really determine our effectiveness in, in reaching. Um, in reaching. But that's a great question. That's a great point. Uh, you'll encounter that. Jesus encountered that. The scripture says he was called a drunk. You know what I'm saying? Like he had a reputation for being a drunk because he hung out with so many drunk people. Um, I mean, it's only a matter of time, I think, before uh, we start lobbing accusations uh, at one another for the company that we keep. Um, yeah. Your light shines the brightest. So sometimes you got to pray like, God, are you really sending me to this place? And if you say yes, then go. And just be yourself, be, you know, with your Christian morals, with your line. But you'll find what I found is that you shine brighter because somebody will come over and they'll say, oh, you're just sitting here like you're not. Why aren't you engaging? Like, well, you know, I said, no, Lord, I just don't believe this. And you can actually have a conversation engaged, set up by the Holy Spirit, set up by God in a place you never would have thought. What I want you to do as you go home. That's so. That's that's cool. If you got to throw pins, whatever means you do. Um, before you go home, before salt is over. So really tonight, uh, to, this afternoon to tonight, identify uh, identify your group. Pick your target and, and invest your energy there. That would that would be my, my first suggestion. Pick your target um, and and focus your energy. Um, I, I, I like to read the psychology journal and the sociology journal. Um, both of them are telling me that, that young people, college-aged individuals, are, um, are still finding themselves spread incredibly wide and incredibly thin. And deep, meaningful relationship comes at a premium, um, especially uh, as social media um, takes on different faces and different forms. Almost every year, uh, it is uh, it it is uh, it is pushing our generation in a trend where uh, genuine relationship is is absent for most young people. Um, as you know, Facebook rose and and then really collapsed for the current swath of young people. Right, most young people are not on Facebook. You would think that would mean that without a juggernaut like Facebook equipping them to build friendships, they would like turn to the real world, right? That's not what happened at all, as you know, right? Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, all these other things are just becoming juggernauts in, in its place. And so this is happening and, and, and we're guessing will continue to happen, right? Which is going to mean <coughs> your peers and, and the students coming after you um, are going to be incredibly poor at building meaningful face-to-face -face relationships. You're not, you're not bad at building friendships because you have Jesus, right? You have the Holy Spirit who is actually working in your heart and giving you a desire for, for meaningful friendship, right? That's, some, that's, a, that's, mm -hmm. part of, that's part of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. You're looking around thinking, man, I, I, I wish I had like a, you know, I wish I had deep, meaningful friends. 
uh, that's Jesus, right? And he's trying to he's trying to prompt you to get out there and, and, and build those friendships. So you can take that, and as you meet new people, that's something you can offer. That's something everyone in this room can offer. And and I'm I'm guaranteeing you, uh, um, everyone needs a friend. And 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 if you if you keep meeting new people, you'll meet people who want you as a friend. That much I can guarantee. All right. So pick your target. Um, earn relational currency. Partner with your small group or your Chi Alpha community at large. Um, uh, it's it's what I have done on on multiple occasions. We had uh, we used to have a really nice combat room um, in in our gym, um, and I love I love UFC. I love fighting. Um, I love anything to do with people hurting each other. And not not kidding. Um, but with consenting adults, it's wonderful. And so um, uh, and so we did that. Uh, a, a friend of mine. Uh, a student and I went to the combat room and so we were doing uh, what's called jujitsu um, and and it was just me and him um, someone came in saw what we were doing it was interested the next week uh, that guy came back with his friend and and I remember the day when I showed up and I was sitting beside a guy and, and I was I had just finished sparring with someone and he had just finished sparring with someone the group had grown to like 20 some and I'm sitting shoulder to shoulder with this student, and I said, hey man, how long have you been coming here? And he said, how oh, about eight weeks now? And I knew he had not been coming for eight weeks, because we had only been doing it for six weeks, right? And, and I was the one who had been doing it, right? Me, me and Colin had started the whole thing, so like, where is, who was this guy, and where did he come from? Uh, but he, like, he just wanted to identify with the group, right? Like, he, he wanted to have some sort of meaningful connection with the group. Um, anyway, uh, take people with you. Uh, it's so much better than trying to go by yourself. All right. Did you say anything to him? Or no, 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 I didn't call him out at all. I was like, sweet, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you must be a oh, real. so nice because I would have called you out. No, I was like, let's roll next time. <laughs> I was like, let's you and me spar next time. It'd be great. <laughs> let's see how really good you are. Yeah. Find what unites them, uh, become a meaningful part of the community. I mean, this is huge. Um, I think Kurt talked about what it means to be a tax collector. Um, Jesus is, when we read the Gospels, we're reading his teaching uh, done in an age where his people, the Jewish people, lived on ancestral homeland. You, you know what I mean by that? Like their parents and their parents. and, and You know what I'm saying? This, the land that they were living on had been their land for generations going back as far as they could remember. And they're there, but their land is being occupied by Roman soldiers. And the Roman soldiers are taxing them uh, to the point where the Jewish people are no longer able to pay those taxes, right? It's crippling them economically. And, and some families were forced to sell their homeland to Roman citizens, okay? Those taxes that, that fueled this economic machine of destruction were gathered by tax collectors and those tax collectors were Jewish but can you imagine that if this was you put yourself in this in this place you're living at your parents house right working the job your parents worked 
living on the land your grandparents owned and their grandparents before them. And your neighbor shows up at your door and says, I'm working for the Roman government. You have to pay this amount of taxes. Right? What, like, bro, we're in this together. What are you doing? Why would you work for them? Right? Because of the money? I mean, that's gross, man. That's gross. And now you're gouging me on taxes? This is sick. And he's doing it. And if you don't play along, then the Roman soldiers come and break your kneecaps. Okay? Yeah. So that's all right. So check this out. That dude who shows up collecting taxes, right? The turncoat, that absolute traitor, the scum of the earth. He's on Jesus' posse. And he didn't stop collecting taxes. I, I spent a week in the, in the LGBTQ office before I started getting the questions. Is homosexuality, is that right? Is it wrong? Is it right? Is it wrong? Is that a sin? Is that not a sin? All right. I mean, how far, like, is marijuana right? Is it wrong? Like, what is that even, you know, what do you, like, what does Jesus do? Jesus brings those people right up to him shoulder to shoulder. And he didn't ask them to stop being tax collectors before they were on his posse. He didn't ask them to stop. It's bizarre. Y'all, it's bizarre. Now, to the prostitute, he said, stop. Stop and change your life. Right. So there's there, don't don't misunderstand that Jesus is, is not uh, looking for repentance. He desperately is looking for repentance because that's what's going to set us free. And, and we have to be that voice calling a generation to repentance. But we can't speak the call to repentance if they're too far away to hear. Right. And we have made the mistake historically of pushing people so far away that when we say repent, there's a better way. All they hear is you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Okay, um, become a meaningful part of the community. Uh, we are servants through and through. Jesus has called us to be servants. He is the servant king. He is the king who came and said, I am going to save this world, but I'm not going to do it exalted and on a throne. I'm not going to do it with an army. I'm going to save this world by serving. Um, uh, absolutely profound. But if you want to make inroads with a subculture, look to see how you can serve that subculture. Um, and then, and then finally, uh, my little equation at the bottom that none of you can read, so I'll tell you. Shared interest plus deep friendship equals the strongest foundation possible. If you want to give your voice the greatest impact when you call people to Jesus, you need a, a deep, meaningful friendship and a shared interest, right? The, the, the journals I'm reading are telling us that... that uh, that young people are yearning for deep friendship. And, and, and that, combined with a shared interest, can, can, can create something incredibly powerful. All right, thank you guys for putting up with me. Um, I'm going to hang around here if you've got any questions, any and more incredible questions. Um, and uh, you guys be blessed. Enjoy your day, enjoy your afternoon. Peace.